0: Now, as you know, Jeremiah was given a message to speak to the people of Israel. And Jeremiah's powerful messages didn't exactly make him popular with the people. And it's not any different today. You know, there's a message that God wants people to hear today about his son and the cross and what God did for us. And people are uncomfortable. People don't like hearing God's word today. But again, it didn't make the people in Jeremiah's day, it didn't make him a popular guy. And matter of fact, it just, it did the opposite. When he gave the people the Lord's message, the people wanted to kill him. Again, uh, there, there's, you know, that that's why Jesus ended up on the cross. The people didn't like the message that he had for them and they crucified him. But Jeremiah didn't let the people's threats scare him. Jeremiah wasn't intimidated by the people's threats. And rather than Jeremiah backing down or shutting up, he kept on declaring what God had put on his heart to tell the people. It's like Peter and John said in Acts chapter 4 verse 20. He said, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And that goes for all of us. You can't stop a man like Jeremiah. With that kind of commitment to God who just keeps on going, even when the world turns against him. In Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through 24, we see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. And Paul said to the Ephesian elders, he says, Now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He says, I don't know what awaits me there, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work God assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And in Acts chapter 21, verses 11 to 13, remember the, the prophet Abagas, uh, Agabus said to Paul and the other brethren, he told them, the Holy Spirit declares the owner of this belt will be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles, that is, the non-Jews. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. But listen to what Paul said. Why are all of you weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And once again, Jeremiah had to use an action sermon to get the people's attention. And he did it at a time when Zedekiah was meeting and consulting with representatives from five neighboring nations, according to verse 3. Now, these nations were partners of Judah, and together they were working out a plan for dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's begin in chapter 27, now verse 1. It says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of judah this word came to jeremiah from the lord saying now there might be what's called a copyist error here it's possible instead of reading jehoiakim it should read zedekiah and it's one of the very rare errors not in the bible but in the but in one of the later scribes who are copying the manuscripts and this is generally thought to be a copyist error which means that the person who was copying it copied probably the, uh, Jeremiah chapter 26.1, which makes uh, matches verbally with Jeremiah chapter 27.1 here. Because as you go through the chapter, it seems that the context had to do with the reign of Zedekiah. Because, because when you read verse 3, notice that it says that the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites the king of Tyre and the king of Sidon by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. And then when you go down to verse 12, it reads, I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So again, Zedekiah would be the king that's being spoken to. Verses two and three. Thus says the Lord to me, make for yourselves bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. And send them to the king of Edom and the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So bonds and yokes. Bonds and yokes are wooden bars or beams that attach to a pair of oxen with leather bands. So this symbolic act by Jeremiah putting on these bonds and these yokes, it was a symbolic act of wearing the yoke it would communicate bondage, restraint, and enslavement. Now, the yoke that Jeremiah was to make and to put on his neck, it was a sign of servitude and submission. And that's the message that Jeremiah was trying to get across to the people. They were to put on the yoke, uh, that, you know, like the ox, so that they could make the ox uh, serve by pulling the plow. And that's, again, the purpose of the, of the yoke. You would put it on the ox, they, they'd yoke two oxen together, and they would pull the plow. So Jeremiah was supposed to wear this yoke around his neck as a sign to the people that they were going to become servants to that Babylonian king. And now it seems like several of the neighboring kingdoms decided to join together in a partnership to stop King Nebuchadnezzar from marching through the land. Because none of them, none of these five nations by themselves, were powerful enough to defeat Babylon. But they felt if they joined forces together, they could have some effect against the Babylonian army. It's like Jonathan, when he said to his armor bearer in 1, John 14, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 14, 6, Let us go to the fort of these uncircumcised, maybe that the Lord will work for us. Notice, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or few. So that they were sort of taking comfort in the fact that if they joined forces together... They might be able to stop this Babylonian army with some help from the Lord. So Jeremiah was commanded to go to these messengers who he says in verse 3 came from Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon and send them this message. Look at verses 4 through 6. And command them to say to their masters, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall you say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field, I have also given him to serve him. So God is basically announcing that he appointed King Nebuchadnezzar, that he should reign over the world, over these kingdoms even though he was a pagan king. Jeremiah is saying that God is the one who sets men on the throne, whoever he chooses, according to his will. And God appoints the rulers. And sometimes he chooses the lowest of men. But the bottom line is, God reigns. And God uses even the lowest men to accomplish his purposes. So God calls them his servants. We read in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. Uh, Paul said, God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooked and exploits and abuses. Chose, he chose nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. He said, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another, Psalm 75, 6 and 7. So here in our text, the Lord refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. Because God is going to use Nebuchadnezzar, even though he isn't aware of it or isn't really anxious about it. And he may be reluctant, but God will still use him. God called other kings like Darius and Siren, his servant. The pagan king of Persia, he called his servant. So see, God uses people, whoever he chooses, to accomplish his purposes, even though they don't know that they're being used by God. Why? Because God rules, and he reigns. Now, the idea is that there's no sense in getting together and joining forces, hoping to get victory over Nebuchadnezzar. Because Jeremiah says, God has given all of your kingdoms into his hands. And because God has appointed so. So trying to defend yourself is useless. As the psalmist said in chapter uh, 20, uh, verse 7, It says, or Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 33, 16 and 17, the psalmist said, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. And then Isaiah said in chapter 31, 1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. Who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. You see, trying to fight against the Lord will only bring pain. You see, if you would just submit to him and honor him, you can come under his reign and and you can stay in the land. He says, and everything's going to be okay. But Jeremiah was telling people, that if you rebel against what God has appointed and you fight against him, then the destruction is going to be great and it's going to be costly as far as lives are and everything is concerned. So Jeremiah is pretty much encouraging them to just surrender to what God has appointed for them. And now in verse 7, that's exactly what happened historically. Verse, look at verse 7. So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, until the time of his land comes, and then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. When Nebuchadnezzar died, his evil son Merodach reigned in his place, and then Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, was reigning when the Babylonian kingdom fell to the Medes and the Persians. So God sort of gave them the succession of kings here. There's going to be three, Nebuchadnezzar, his son, and then his grandsons. And then, it's, and, and then that would be it for, for Babylon. So God appoints. God sets an order and God sets the timing. So he's saying to them, you're really pretty helpless to do anything about it. God calls the shots. So if you try to fight against God, you're going to get hurt. He's trying to encourage them to surrender to the will of God and you'll get by. And that's always the way it is dealing with the will of God. You can fight the will of God if you want to, but you're only going to end up battered and bruised. Or you can surrender to the will of God and you can reap the benefits and experience the blessings of submitting and going along with God. So why is it that we run from person to person? you know seeking advice seeking help when, when god is so near and god will hear my faintest call you know why is it that i will sit down to plan out my own my own course of action my own course in life and make my own plans when proverbs 19:21 it says there are many plans in a man's heart nevertheless the lord's counsel that will stand proverbs 16:9 a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And then Job 5.12, He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. In other words, why don't I just immediately place myself and my problems on the Lord? Why don't we just, as it says in Psalm 37.5, commit everything that we do to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will bring it to pass. He'll help you surrendering the will of god is the best way to go instead of looking for some hopeless deliverance everywhere else see it's under the hand of god where you will find that deliverance where you'll find that help when my situation is so pressing you know and i can't see how i'll ever be delivered from it i need to understand that's not my concern because the Lord who made the promise will find the way to keep it. First Samuel 14, 47 says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Second Chronicles 32, 8, With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. See, my part, is to obey his commands. To submit to his will. To what he's appointed for me. It's not to tell him what he needs to do. I'm a servant. Not his advisor. I call upon him. And he will deliver me. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 50 verse 15. God says call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. Uh, and you shall glorify me. That's the deal. Call upon me in the day of your trouble. I'll deliver you but you glorify me for my deliverance. You see, a lot of times we make the mistake of trying to tell God what to do. We try to put together a plan and then we want God to bless our plan. Instead, we need to find out what God is doing and and then get behind God's plan. And it's a lot better to just find the direction that the Holy Spirit is moving in and then follow Him rather than trying to redirect where God is going And the move of God. So here we have God establishing the three generations. Nebuchadnezzar his son. And then his son's son. And then Babylon is going to fall. So Jeremiah continues the message. Notice in verse 8. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that the nation I will punish, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. So the symbol of the yoke is explained to the foreign messengers, the foreign ambassadors. Jeremiah is telling those who won't submit as servants to Babylon, to be under the yoke of God, are going to be punished. And he tells them, if you resist, you know, it's going to bring the sword, it's going to bring pestilence, and it's going to bring famine. Now, the city of Tyre is one of the kingdoms that was represented at this conference. And we do know that the city of Tyre did try to defend itself against the Babylonian army, but it was costly. The Babylonian army surrounded the city of Tyre for 13 years. And the city of Tyre, they were able to hold them off, the Babylonian army, for only so long. But because of the Phoenician navy that ruled the seas, and they had a seaport there, they would bring supplies in from the seas of the Babylonian army. So finally, after 13 years, the city of Tyre fell. But it was a costly loss to them when it came to people's lives. And of course, because of the famine and the disease, you know, that came as a result of this long period that they were surrounded. So again, it was very costly to the people because they didn't submit. So Jeremiah is just saying, this is what God has appointed for you. This is God's doing. You know, what God has done, man can't undo it. And you don't want to fight against God. So it, it, go ahead and submit to what the will of God is, and accept this as God's appointed purpose at this time. And this is what Jeremiah is trying to get, around, get across to the people. If you bend, if you bend, you won't be broken. So many of the people did not bend. They they they, they tried to fight the will of God. They tried to defend themselves, and they were broken. And I remember one of one of Paul's a uh, Pastor Chuck's sayings, he used to say, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And it's true. You know, we can get we can get stiff necked and we can get stubborn and we can, you know, try to bump heads with God, but but he's gonna break us. That's fighting a losing battle. Verses nine and eleven. Nine through eleven. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. So notice the false prophets were telling people, Don't serve, uh, don't serve the king of Babylon. For they, that is the, the false prophets, Jeremiah says, They prophesy a lie to you to remove, remove you far from your land. He says, And I will drive you out and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, notice, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell in it. The way kings summon different prophet and diviners to give them directions is well known from the book of Daniel. So Jeremiah is saying to the people, look, if you guys will just surrender... And do what the Lord tells you. You can stay right there in your own land. You can farm it. You can take care of it. And you'll, be, and you'll be able to dwell there. You'll be prosperous there. But if you fight and resist, then you're going to be scattered to all the lands and you're going to die there. So you see, these false prophets, they were diviners, they were sorcerers, and so on. They were prophesying and encouraged them to resist God's will. And they were promising the people that they would have victory over Babylon. When God said, Babylon's going to destroy you if you don't submit to my will. And it's interesting, it said that they were doing this in order that the people might be driven out from their land and scattered. So these false prophets were actually inspired by Satan and they were giving satanic advice to the people. These false prophets. And we need to understand that Satan has one purpose. And that's to destroy. One of his names is destroyer. And Satan seeks to destroy you and he'll give you false counsel for the sole purpose of destroying you always. And Jesus said in John 10, 10 the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan's purpose is to ultimately destroy your life. And the things that he's tempting you to do, enticing you to do, are the very things that will destroy you because he's out to destroy. That's his purpose. And one of his names is Apollyon, the destroyer, because he's out to destroy you. But Jesus, on the other hand, said, I've come that you may have life and that life more abundantly. So a person chooses either to obey Christ and to have an abundant life Or to obey Satan and be destroyed. So you can never really blame God for the destruction in your life. You have to blame yourself because you listened to the enemy and you followed his advice and his counsel. So Jeremiah is saying, don't listen to these sorcerers. Sorcerers were those who would join forces with demons in order to discover or control the future. Jeremiah said, don't listen to these diviners. These were people who read omens. He said, don't listen to these enchanters, those who practice magic, or the dreamers, those who interpret dreams, because they're going to give you bad counsel and they're going to tell you to resist. They're telling the people, hey, don't worry, guys, you're not going to come under the yoke of Babylon. You're not going to be enslaved to them, but it's only that you might be carried away and your land destroyed. They're prophesying lies to you, Jeremiah said. To submit to Babylon was to submit to the will of God and the purposes of God. But the false prophets were lying to them. Oh, don't worry, you're not going to be, you know, subservient to Babylon. Look at verses 12 through 13. I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon. In other words, submit to him and serve him, notice, and his people and live. Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? So Jeremiah warned the king not to listen to the deceiving messages of the false prophets because they were speaking only lies in the name of the Lord. Jeremiah's message to King Zedekiah was to submit to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and you shall live. Or you can rebel against Nebuchadnezzar and God and die. So, why would you literally choose to die? To rebel against God. Submit and live, Jeremiah says. And you know what? That's very much like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Submit to Jesus Christ and live. Why? Resist him and die. God has appointed Jesus to reign. And God, has, a, God has, an a, has appointed this thing, so you can't stop it. And the Bible says one day every, every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can't stop that. And one day he's going to rule his Lord over the whole earth, and you can't stop that. Because God has appointed him to do that. God has appointed Jesus to rule over the earth. Psalm 2.8, it says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll surrender to God's will, Jeremiah tells the people, and you put your neck under the yoke and you serve Jesus Christ, then you'll live and reign with him in his kingdom. But to fight against his plan, you'll only bring destruction to your own soul. So why should you die? Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. it said today God says I have given you the choice between life and death between blessing and curses now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make oh that you would choose life he said in Ezekiel thirty three eleven, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live turn turn from your evil ways for why should you die O house of Israel again good question Just for being stubborn and not submitting to the will of God. Verses 14 through 17. Therefore, do not listen to the words of the prophets. Again, the false prophets who speak to you saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. For I have not sent them those gods telling him I have not sent them, says the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name that I may drive you out and that you may perish. You and the prophets who prophesy to you. Also, I spoke to the priests and to all this people saying, thus says the Lord. Notice, do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you saying, behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon for they prophesy a lie to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid waste? Now, many of the vessels were taken like the golden vessels that were used in the temple when they would use them in the service of God. They were taken as spoils by the Babylonian army, taken back to Babylon. All of the smaller vessels, those that you could easily carry, were taken. Now they left some of the larger instruments of worship, you know, in the temple, the big brass laver and and where the priests bathed. uh, Those were left, that was left. It was a huge brass laver and and then the giant uh, brass pillars were left uh, from the temple of Solomon. They were left there. So the prophets were going around prophesying, saying, hey, soon they're going to be returning all of the vessels of gold and silver that they took to Babylon. They'll be coming back. And we're going to get back to the good old days again. Jeremiah said, hey, don't listen to these false prophets. Jeremiah said, they're prophesying lies to you. He said, serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid to waste? Why should this city be destroyed? And it was totally destroyed. Verse 18. But if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts, that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and at Jerusalem, do not go to Babylon. So here Jeremiah is kind of giving them a test. He's recommending to to give them a test to verify the words of these false prophets. He's saying, hey, if the word of the Lord is with these false prophets, that is, if the prophets truly are speaking for the Lord, then their prayer, their intercession for the survival of the remaining temple instruments would come to pass. Many of the furnishings of the temple of the Lord, they were transported to Babylon in exile of Jehoiachin, and his entourage and according to to jeremiah the vessels that remained would show those words uh, those whose word was of the lord if they were really men of god let them be praying and interceding that the rest of the things won't be carried off to babylon but they were carried off they went back when he came back and he destroyed the temple. They cut these big brass pillars there that held the front porch of the temple, and they cut those things in pieces and carried them back. They took the brass laver, the other instruments, and the treasures where they left when they left the next time, just as Jeremiah said they would do. Don't listen to the false prophets. Look at verses 19 through 22 as we close. For thus says the Lord of hosts, concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, "...concerning the carts and concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in this city, which King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, did not take when he carried away captive uh, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Israel to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem." Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them and restore them to this place. So Jeremiah is now prophesying. He says, have them pray that God won't do it. But he already knows that they have set their mind against God. So he prophesies they're going to be carried away. And they're going to stay there until the day that God is ready to bring them back. Years later, when the Persian kings allowed them to come back, they brought back many of the things of the temple. Ezra bought, brought back many of those things, and the kings restored them to Jerusalem. But again, that was in God's timing. Everything has to do with God's timing. And then Jeremiah ended his message to the priests and the people with a promise of hope. He said at the end of the 70 years of captivity, God would visit his people in Babylon and bring them back to their land. Even in wrath, God remembers mercy. And remember, whatever God does, it's in mercy or judgment. Whatever he does, whether it's in mercy or judgment, It's done in righteousness. It's right. It's whatever he does. It's always right. It's always in righteousness. So again, whether it's judgment or or mercy, he's never wrong. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. And Father, the, the whole message is about not believing the lies and believing God. The Father, whatever situations that 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 you allow us to be in or that you design for us God Father help us to seek you and help us to submit to your will to your purposes God Father for you for in your infinite wisdom God you know what's best for us Lord Though we don't know and though we don't seem to agree at times God with what you do and why you do it help us God to just trust in you Lord to submit to you, Lord, and know that in your infinite wisdom, God, you do always that which is merciful and what is right. And Father, help us not to listen to those voices that call out against you, God, for there are many. There are many who who falsify your word and, and speak lies against you, God. So we thank you, Father, for being our God and for leading us and guiding us into all truth. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.